0: You know, I I know that you're getting tired of coming here on Wednesday nights and hearing about this legalism thing. Um, We've been doing this, and and many of you, I hope hope you haven't forgotten that um, uh, it was spawned out of our discussion and our study of Romans 14, and we're going to get back to Romans 15. It'll probably be the fall, but we'll see. Um, But anyway... As a result of studying Romans 14, the whole subject of legalism versus, or the strong versus the weak, the legalism versus antinomianism has has arisen or arose. And so we jumped over to Mark chapter 7 and have spent some time trying to analyze uh, the whole issues um, that attack uh, a, a, a posture of grace, legalism being one of them, antinomianism being the other, And I know you're tired of this stuff. Um, You know, come on, Jimmy, move on to the next topic. Uh, You know, uh, I mean, we really don't understand why it is that you're so exercised over this business of legalism. Well, so I, I, you know, walking out of here on Wednesday nights, I'm thinking, you know, they are bored stiff over that stuff. Uh, Just, continuing to just... And I would love to tell you that we're just going to move on, but we're not. (laughs) We're going to we're going to we're going to dig around in it some more. But what I wanted to do tonight is that I I put some stuff on on most of the tables, um, a little handout. I I didn't make one for everybody. Um, I just put a couple on each uh, table because we're you know we're a small struggling church. Um, We can't even pay our light bill, Um, so I you know we just have a couple of these things and. And what I've done is I've taken a picture of one, actually it's two pages, out of a book written by Chuck Swindoll. This is, uh, oh, I don't know, in the late 80s, maybe early 90s that this was copyrighted. Um, uh, The Grace Awakening became quite a seller for him. And um, um, I want to read you, what we're going to do tonight, is I'm going to read you some of the stuff that is contained in this book. He has a chapter in here. Uh, called Squaring Off Against Legalism. And if anything, guys, his comments are more severe than mine have been. Um, And and I wanted you to see that. I wanted you to see that I'm not the only um, uh, pastor who is concerned about the encroachments, ever so subtly, of legalism into the evangelical world. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some of this stuff, and then I'm gonna show you I'm gonna I'm gonna show you well one other thing, and then we'll be we'll be done for the night. But um, I, I, before we get to this little handout that I put on the on the um, the tables, let me just tell you that he starts this chapter with this stirring story about um, you know Patrick Henry, "Give me liberty or give me death," and you know, he's got this huge quote in here from from Patrick Henry when he stood before the Continental Congress and he said, you know, I don't care, about but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> and then what, what what Swindoll does is saying, you know, liberty was something that was worth fighting for. And yet in the Christian church, um, we, we kind of take it lying down. It kind of takes over, it creeps in unawares and... And 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 uh, dominates the, the the conversations, and nobody nobody raises the least bit of um, opposition. You know, guys, uh, Christians b- b- lament the way that cults turn their adherents into um, into mindless robots. But I'm telling you, evangelicalism runs a close second. So in, instead of trying to um, um, uh, encourage people to think and to wrestle with their, with the, with, with the, with their Savior, they just um, encourage telling everybody, or let everybody just put your minds on hold, and the preacher will tell you how to think. If you want an example of that, ladies and gentlemen, just look at Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism doesn't want its adherence into the Scriptures. You just listen to what I tell you, and I'll tell you what, what it says. Well, evangelicals can do that. You know, there's a, there's a passage, um, you, you may recall, in the, in the life of Moses. It's in Numbers chapter 11, where, um, oh, it's, um, it's, a, it's kind of a, an embarrassing scene in the, in the history of Israel. And so, um, and these two men, one by the name of Eldad and one by the name of Medad... They go out in the middle of the camp and they start, um, they start prophesying. And Joshua uh, runs to Moses and says, Moses, Moses is terrible. Eldad and Medad, they're out there. They're, 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 they're prophesying. And, and Moses says in reply, but Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them, all of them. But I'm telling you guys, I'm not so sure evangelicalism wants that to take place. Um, We don't want to do what the cults do and turn their adherents into robots. And yet, there is that, that subtle drift in evangelicalism just to pay the guy a lot of money and let him tell us what we're supposed to think. Now guys, I see that as a real... Assault on the body of Christ, on you, on the Scriptures, on a whole ministry of grace. But I am not alone, <laughs> and that's why I wanted you to see this. And I, like I said, I only put two copies. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. You don't even have to follow it. I just wanted to prove that I wasn't lying to you. So let somebody at your table read it and say, "Yeah, yeah, it's in here, all right." And if you don't know that name, Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll's been around for just years and is just kind of a grand old man of the faith and still pastors a church out in Dallas. And, but I, I want to read you a few things he has to say. And then I want to comment on it myself, and then I want to I talk to you about some of the subtle ways that, that legalism has crept into this place. This place. We'll talk about it. Um... I'll just read with a bit of commentary. I'm on the bottom of the page 80. Swindoll says, perhaps I should reemphasize that it is a liberty you will have to fight for. Now, you come here on Wednesday nights and you're bored stiff uh, because he just keeps talking about that legalism thing. Won't he ever move on? Well, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we're going to move on. But this is worth fighting over. That is, this is worth fighting for that we not allow legalists to creep in unawares and rob us of the freedom and the liberty that is ours in Christ. He goes on. Why? Because the ranks of Christianity are full of those who compare and would love to control and manipulate you so you will become as miserable as they are. Now, guys, I draw your attention to the the ranks of Christianity are full full of those who compare and would love to... um, You think that's true? Do you think that the ranks of evangelicalism are full of people who are legalistic in their tendencies and want to introduce that in in the rest of us? Well, Swindoll does. And it's worth alerting you to. Look at that that, that, um, quote on the top of the page. This is drawn from page 97 in the book. Um, The quote is this. Legalism is so subtle, so insidious, insidious, excuse me, I have found that it's especially tempting to those whose temperament tends towards pleasing people. (laughs) Now, none of us have that weakness of wanting to please people, do we? His suggestion is that legalism is particularly enticing to people whose temperaments kind of just want people to be happy. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would say that's just about all of us. We like crowd approval to the point of sin. So, my point is if that's true of us, hmm, then legalism is so subtle and so insidious. Don't you love that word? It sounds like a s- serpent. Insidious. It does, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. They crept in unawares. Now read on with me. <clears throat> now, guys, well, let me, let me remember. Now, now is a good time for us to become better acquainted with the staunch enemy of liberty. Remember, I told you that my word, the word that I love to use that summarizes grace is the word freedom. He uses the word liberty. Maybe I got that word from him and I just changed. I don't know. But he says, I want you to become acquainted with the staunch enemy of of freedom in Christ. Legalism is an attitude, a mentality based on pride. Gang, we spent the last two weeks and I showed you one characteristic and the last week I showed you a second one. The first week I said that the chief characteristic of legalism is self-glory. He says it's an attitude, a mentality based on pride. Now, none of us are guilty of that. I mean, no pride in this room, is there? It is an obsessive conformity to an artificial standard. Remember what I did last week? I said that legalism substitutes and lowers the standard of godliness and we begin to measure each other by this lowered standard, this substitute standard. That's what he's saying. It's, uh, it's, um, it's an obsessive conformity to an artificial standard for the purpose of exalting oneself. Yes, sirree, Bob. I, um, <clears throat> I stay away from all R-rated movies. And you don't. And that means I'm holier than you. That's what legalism does, gang. A legalist assumes... The place of authority and pushes it to unwarranted extremes. Now, guys, this next quote I really think is good. I do not know who Daniel Taylor is. I looked in the back of the book. He wrote a book, and Chuck Swindoll takes this quote out of Daniel Taylor's book. But this is good, in my opinion. The great weapon of authoritarianism, secular or religious, is legalism. You know what authoritarianism is, ladies and gentlemen? It's that, it's that mindset that says, I'm going to tell you what's, what to do. The manufacturing and manipulation of rules for the purpose of illegitimate control. Wow. Perhaps the most damaging of all the perversions of God's will and Christ's work. Did you hear that? the most damaging of all the perversions of God's will in Christ. Legalism clings to law, and I've been saying this, at the expense of grace to the letter in place of the Spirit. That is, it clings to the letter of the law in place of the Spirit of the law. I said that too. Legalism is one more expression of the human compulsion for security. Guys, if I know the rules, even though the rules are false, and I can measure myself by those rules, then I can feel good about myself. Because when I begin to measure myself after, uh, 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 next to or against Jesus Christ, I don't do as well. I do pretty good with the rules measured against those. But measured against Him? hmm So, in my my lust for security, I changed the rules. If we can vigorously enforce an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts with an emphasis on external behavior, we not only can control unpredictable human beings, but have God's favor as well. Oh, you unpredictable human beings. You are so hard to manage. You are just being... People. Oh, the ministry would be so enjoyable if it weren't for people. But guys, legalism is trying to to control those unpredictable people that are among us, which is most of us. Keep reading. Legalistic authoritarianism shows itself in the confusion of the Christian principle of unity with a human insistence on unanimity. Unity is profound, even mystical quality. It takes great effort to achieve, yet mere effort will never produce it, because, ladies and gentlemen, unity is produced by the Holy Spirit. It is a source of great security, yet demands great Risk. Do you see that sentence, ladies and gentlemen? If we are going to allow the Holy Spirit of God to offer things among us, there's risk. Because some of you might not get the memo. You know, and, 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 if, and if we communicate you are free to follow Christ and be loyal to him, well, some of you just might do some, some pretty strange stuff. And that's Risky. You know guys, let me just give you a a small it's not a small, it's a big thing. Um that becomes an issue around here about once a month. Dress code. Some of you parents allow your children out into this church half naked. And some of you adults come over here half naked too. And I see you. And everybody else sees you. And then they come to me. And they say, when are you going to do something about that? When are you going to get this stopped? Why? That woman. You can fill in the rest of the sentence. If you can't get me later, I'll tell you what they say. It, it has to do with endowments. And they're saying, you've got to get that stopped. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how? You know what it reminds me of? I know y'all won't admit this, but did y'all ever used to watch Church Lady? <laughs> on Saturday Night Live, the church chat? Did you ever, and, and I'm telling you, she's got our number, he's got our number. She's got our number, ladies and gentlemen, and on, on one of the, the episodes, he takes his church chat to um, to Las Vegas, and you know that little shrivelled up master whose and that hairdo. I don't know. I mean, you know, that clothes, and and she comes out, church lady does, and she begins to, damn, all the beautiful women that are sitting in the first couple of rows. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the non-Christian world thinks we do do. Um, by the way, she's, the fact that Saturday Night Live, of course, so many of their skits were just vile, but sometimes when they were just funny uh, uh, caricatures of the Christian church, you know what they're caricaturing, don't you? They're caricaturing our legalism. You know, she used to do the superior dance. Don't you remember that? The superior dance? You know, they're making fun of us, ladies and gentlemen, because they think that's what we do. Back to that dress code thing. What would you like for me to do? Would, would, Would four inches above the knee be okay? Or would you like it to be six inches? And exactly what is a plunging neckline? We all know what they are, but you know, they vary from person to person, you know? And then if we set the rules, then somebody's got to enforce them. My greatest fear, ladies and gentlemen, is not really that you're going to come over here naked. I wish you would consider that. My greatest fear is that we're going to put a whole lot of rules in place. So that the church lady can have another skit about us. So, we live with the risks. That's what he says. Yet demands great, yeah, and some of you go too far. But the alternative is authority authoritarianism. Would you like that? Well, in some places they love it. I can't live like that. Maybe you can. Okay, keep going. Unanimity, on the other hand, is very tidy. It can be measured, monitored, and enforced. It is largely external, whereas unity is essentially internal. So what do we want, ladies and gentlemen? Unity or unanimity? Because unity is something that's internal that God the Holy Spirit authors. And when God the Holy... By the way, I've got one more week to to analyze legalism, which is... And I think we can wrap it up next week, I think. But it has to do with the whole role of the Holy Spirit. Because legalism doesn't have any place for that. Because it wants to control. It wants to enforce unanimity. Unanimity insists on many orthodoxies in addition to those of belief and behavior. You know it's a, what he said? Many orthodoxies. One of the orthodoxies is no Christian ever drinks a glass of wine. It's an orthodoxy. If you're a Christian, you don't drink a glass of wine. So not only do you have to adhere to the deity of Christ and salvation by grace through faith alone, you've got to put in there, don't drink a glass of wine. It insists on many orthodoxies in addition to those of believe and in behavior, including orthodoxy of experience and vocabulary, even. That's my word. You know, guys, I, I can tell you that if you've ever been in legalist, legalistic circles, they all do use the same language. You know, it's, it's it, not exactly, but, you know, they've got the same catchphrases. That is, believers are expected to come to God in similar ways, to have similar experiences with God, and to use accepted phrases in describing those experiences. That's exactly right. Do you get that? Believers are expected to come to God in similar ways, to have similar experiences with God, and to use accepted phrases in in describing those experiences. How would you you deal with somebody who came to you and said, I came to know Jesus Christ because he, he appeared to me in a dream? You got any category for that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Ronnie Stevens says that people in Iraq are coming to Jesus Christ via dreams. You like Ronnie? I love him. And that's not the way I came. But legalism enforces the sameness. Now, guys, one other thing, and then I'm, um, I'll move on, but I got this, this quote down here at the bottom, which um, is one of my greatest fears. Uh, Strict legalistic people in leadership drain the very life out of the church. I I, I think I've said this before, but you put legalists in the office of elder and we're done. We're done. Guys, because, and and here's what happens in, in the evangelical church, they begin to choose their elders based not on things like Humility and Christ's likeness. They, 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 they select their elders based on church attendance. Are they there a lot? Is he on some committees? It doesn't matter whether they're, they're humbly pursuing Christ's likeness. Does he come? Now, guys, of course you want them to come, do you not? But that's not the criteria by which we measure. But you put strict legalists in leadership. And they will drain the very life out of the church. That's page 77 in this book. Now I've got 10 minutes. Let me tell you how legalism, uh, you know, you think, well, you know, I don't go to one of those churches. Jimmy, I don't, you know, no, 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 no. Those people, they don't dance and they don't smoke and they don't chew and they don't do all that. You know, they don't do all those things. And, you know, I don't go to one of those places. You don't. Well, that's a code. You don't dance, you don't smoke, you don't do all that business. That's one code, but there's another code. There's all kinds of codes. Here's the code that, that is more, more resembling Grace of Am. If you're a Christian, you must vote Republican. What Christian could ever vote for a Democrat? Ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's, that's ugly. First of all, government is not our hope. But the idea that we would evaluate another brother or sister because they voted for a Democrat? It's legalism. It ain't pretty. Um, mom, Here's number two. Moms don't work. I mean, if you're really holy. You stay home and you raise your kids. Now guys, is it wonderful for mothers to stay home and raise their kids? Absolutely. And I, I, I bet every working mother in this room would say, "That's an ideal." But it is by no means a criterion by which we measure one's spirituality. No. Um, how about this? This is one of my favorites how you educate your children. You send your kids to public schools? I mean, there's only two options for Christians. A Christian school or homeschooling. Didn't you know that? And you're going to give... I heard a preacher stand in a pulpit and say, you put your kids in a public school and you are putting them in the hands of Moloch. You got any kids in Christian school? I mean, public schools, your, your, your kids are just doomed. But, but ladies and gentlemen, would you, would you, I mean, there there are some people uh, that would fight you in this church about public schools. Gang. And I get that question half a dozen times a year. What should we do with our children? I don't know what you want to do. Just don't make that a part of the code. If you're a Christian, you vote Republican. Your wife doesn't work. And she's got that gentle, quiet spirit. <laughs> By the way, that gentle, quiet spirit is a biblical given and it's a beautiful thing. But it does vary from woman to woman. <laughs> um, oh, here's another one. Christian mothering. To be a really spiritual mother First of all, you've got to breastfeed. Now, if you don't breastfeed, I mean, I mean, how selfish are you? Now, am I saying that breastfeeding is bad? Heck no. I'm sure it's the best. But it's not a measurement of spirituality. But the evangelical world turns it into something that is, that is a criterion of spiritual attainment. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding. And not only that, then there's also, you must make some of your own baby food. Or at least you've got to shop at Whole Foods. I mean, you couldn't buy your groceries at Kroger. I mean, not if you're a good mother. Guys, about how many years ago? Ten. There was something that swept through Grace Van about parenting. It was, um, it was written by a man by the name of Gary Ezzo. E-Z-Z-O. He was out of John MacArthur's church. It was called something, baby. Do you remember what it was called? Baby babywise. Baby, wise. baby wise. And a lot of mothers in this church bought into it. By the way, Gary Ezzo was um, excommunicated um, from, by John MacArthur's church. Uh, but, but guys... Is baby wise a good way to, you know, you, 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 it, one of the principles is you make the kid eat on your schedule and not their schedule or something like that. Is that a good way to do it? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe y'all had great success with it. It's just not a criterion of spirituality. That's all I'm saying. You want to follow that? Fine just don't make that a conviction that everybody else is supposed to share. You vote Republican. Your wife doesn't work. You um, you educate your kids in Christian schools, and you breastfeed. Now, if you do all that, you are eligible for the eldership. Actually, that's not true, because we don't have women elders here, but... <laughs> um, now, now, Mark, if you did breastfeed, we'd like to know about it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, guys, do you, there's, there's one other thing. Smoking. Smoking. My, my girls were all educated high school at ECS, and smoking was just anathema. You know, guys, I, I was an athlete, and the older I get, the better I was. But, but I, I, I did play in the SEC, and the SEC paid for me to go to school. My college education was free as a result of my athletic prowess. So I wouldn't have dreamed of smoking a cigarette. But not because, you know, it was wicked. But you know what? There's all kinds of cases that you can make for smoking, being harmful to the body, and, and, and all that business. Go right ahead. But my girls graduated from ECS, and then they went to Ole Miss. You know what they found out down there? They were a part of RUF. And you know what was really a part of the RUF persona? Smoking cigarettes. I guess the code changed. Because if you were if you were at ECS, you wouldn't dare touch one of those things. But if you were at RUF at Ole Miss, why? You needed to hang out with a cigarette in your finger, in your hand. It's the code, ladies. By the way, I'm not promoting smoking. I'm not doing any of that. I'm simply saying there's a code that has crept into the evangelical reformed world. And by the way, in my world, reformed theology is another part of the code. You got all your theological ducks in a row? (laughs) Then you're holy. I told you about the woman who was just, she was as reformed as Calvin and she had a bitter tongue. That didn't make a difference. Because the code. Gang, there are good and there are beneficial things about that code. Some of it even arises from the scriptures. Take the smoking thing. You might even want to make a case. Go right ahead. I'm objecting to it. Because it has become a standard by which spirituality is measured. That is, by this false standard. If you want to vote for a Democrat, go ahead, you idiot. (laughs) That's just a joke. Um, uh, But it's a false standard by which we measure, and Christians are evaluated and judged and even accepted based on who they voted for, based on whether they breastfed, based based on how they educated their children. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is legalism. It's legalism, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to... Let me tell you what the standard is. Christ. Go emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Instead of ranking people based on their performance according to your code... Just go emulate Christ. Nominate and elect Christ-like men. Build your home on principles that you think are reflective of Christ. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if your morality cannot in some way trace itself like the spokes on a bicycle tire, if your morality cannot somehow trace its origin back to the person of Jesus Christ, you've got the wrong stuff. You've got moral reform, which will just make you proud. It does damage to the soul. The springboard, the fountain of all Christian morality is the beauty Of Jesus Christ that's it all this other stuff we added and I will fight it until I have no more energy left in me to fight it and I'll try to point out how ugly it is and I'm sorry y'all are tired of all this but it is so subtle so insidious it's alive and well here. Just not the dancing and the, you know, stuff. We got another one that I've given you some of the points of. Give it some thought, guys. Our Father, um, would you help us see the beauty and long for the beauty of the moral life of Jesus Christ? Not that it earns us a thing, but that it is a a response to a, a message of pure grace about a salvation that has been wrought for us by his life and death. In response to the fact that we are safe, might our lives reflect in godly behavior. We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.